We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 now. You know, if you, uh, if you sang today with any kind of passion, with any kind of fire, with any kind of understanding of what we were singing about, um, you can't do that out of a rules-based Christianity. You've got to do that out of a relationship-based Christianity. Paul writes this whole book, Really, in the entire book, he is defending his ministry. And he's defending it because there are men that have come in behind him and have attacked him, hoping to pull this church back into a Judaistic rule setting instead of an, an internal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the reason he's so passionate in this book, and the, basically the whole book, is about him defending his ministry is because he doesn't want them going back to that. Now, in the course of that defense, he winds up giving us some great spiritual tidbits. Now, the passage we're in today flows out of the last passage. And in the last passage, remember he talks about the fact that we now have two things after we make a trade. That we make a trade with God, he takes away our sin and he gives us his holiness. And in that trade, in that trade, we become... His ambassador, so he gives us two things. He guarantees us a destiny that when we exit this world, that he will come and get us and take us home. That destiny, he says, because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, is a guarantee. Then he talks about the fact that until you exit and face that destiny, you have a ministry. And that ministry is that you are to preach the gospel as an ambassador of the fact that God wants to reconcile the world back to himself. That the world is in trouble, they can't fix it, and God can't ignore it. But that he put his son on the cross, and because of that, we can now offer them a redemption and bring them as ambassadors where they are reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have this ministry. Now, that's important today. All my life growing up in a Baptist church, you always knew one thing would be true. That when young couples began having children, that they would remember the days when they grew up in church and that they would go, you know, I need to take my kids back to church. I need to go back there. Let's get them in. That's not the day today. The kids coming up now haven't necessarily grown up in church. So in the way of kids, they don't think, man, I need to get my kids in a house of worship they think, we need to go somewhere on Sunday the lake. So we can't live off the old Baptist ideology that if we'll just hang out, everybody will show up at church sooner or later. No, 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 no. Those days are over. So we have to step out of who we are beyond these doors and offer to people exactly what Paul said. We now have to live out the ministry where we are ambassadors of God's reconciling power to the world and that they don't have any hope without that reconciliation. And we're the only ones that know about that. So we have the responsibility to go out and do that. Now, as he shared that, and those are the two things he talked about in chapter 5, we have destiny and ministry. Now, he seems like He's bragging here, but he's not. He talks about the fact that they have been successful in that ministry. And so what he's done to be successful is what we have to do in this room to be successful. So listen, 
chapter 6, verse 1, 2 Corinthians, listen. He says, working together, we exhort you not to have received the grace of God in vain. For it says, at the appropriate time, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. And behold, now is the appropriate time. Now is the day of salvation. And we do not in any way to anybody offer offense that the ministry, that is this ministry of being an ambassador for God, might be nullified. But in everything we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now here's what he says. He says, look, got a calling. We have a ministry. We're living it out. I want you to know we've done it right. I don't think he's talking about perfection because remember in the middle of that ministry he ships Timothy home. I mean, Timothy, but John Mark. He has issues. Peter had issues. Not perfection, but what he is saying is that what we've done, we've done basically correctly. So, if you're a believer and God, as he says, heard you and has helped you. That is, he heard your cry and he helped you. He gave you his righteousness and he took away your sin. If that's occurred in your life. Now listen carefully. He's already said that if that occurs in your life, your destiny is automatic. But your ministry is not. And if you aren't living out that ministry, then you have in essence receive the grace of God in vain. I think we just don't get it in modern Christianity over what the grace of God is about. It is about altering our lives. It's not just us walking around saying we're forgiven. Now that we're forgiven, there is something He has entrusted to us which is helping people understand they have a shot at being okay with God based on Jesus Christ. He says we work hard to make sure that we don't do anything in this ministry that would prevent people from hearing what we have to say. Now, how do you do that? Now listen to what he says. Verse 4. But in all things, committing ourselves as ministers of God, in much endurance, and there's the first thing, tribulation, difficulties, hardships, beatings, jail, Riots, labors, no sleep, hunger. Now, what's he just described? Here's what he said. First thing that you do to make sure your ministry works, first thing is you don't ever quit. He says in great endurance, and then he lists all sorts of things. Beatings, <laughs> hunger, sleeplessness, riots. We don't have a lot of those here, but... He says, all these things, in none of these things did we ever quit. Now, we all struggle with thinking about quitting in the middle of hard circumstances. He lists all sorts of circumstances and says, look, the first thing that shows you didn't receive the grace of God in vain is you don't quit. First thing that happens for a lot of us, we get in a situation where we're in a circumstance that we don't like and it's hard and it's tough. The enemy is going to come and whisper two things to you. He's going to come to you and say, number one, hey, 
if God loved you, you wouldn't be in this beating, you wouldn't be hungry, you wouldn't be sleepless. Those things would not be true if God loved you. Or he will say, well, he may love you, but he doesn't really have the power to pull you out of the mess you're in. And the problem with that, it becomes immediately easy to quit. One of the life verses for me in my own life is in Jeremiah 15, because Jeremiah quit. And here's what he says. And he actually blames God. Listen to this. He says, why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. He said, in other words, if you love me, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. And then he slams God. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? He says, look, I'm looking at you like I'm thirsty and I need some water. And when I go to get the water and I drink it, I, my thirst is not quenched. You're going to be like that? In other words, are you going to be powerless to get me through what I'm facing in this hard time? And as a matter of fact, he doesn't believe in God, and he quits. Because the very next verse, he says, Therefore, says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. We do. Hard times. Enemy says he doesn't love you, he doesn't have the power. And for many of us, we don't perform ministry because we, we quit. I remember in high school, I, uh, when God called me to preach, I uh, told my youth group, and I remember a young girl that I knew, she came up to me a couple months later, and we were talking in the youth group. Her dad didn't come to church at all. Her mom came sporadically. She was in the youth group, came every Sunday. We were talking about me being called, which was a, I don't think shock's a strong enough word to the youth group, but she said to me, she said, you know, my dad went to seminary. I said, I've never seen your dad in church. She said, no, I didn't come. She said, he went to New Orleans Seminary. I said, really? What happened? She said, well, I remember I was born in New Orleans, and she said, Dad had me and mom, and he's in seminary, he's working two jobs, and really had trouble making ends meet, and he wound up saying, you know, if God isn't big enough to handle my hunger, he's not the God I want to serve, and he quit seminary and never gone to church since. So I understand. We have hard times. You want to quit. And what he describes here is really hard. But the first way you make sure you live out your ministry, particularly in this day and age, because if we don't do it, our churches are dead. We live out that ministry, and the first thing we understand is it doesn't matter how hard it gets, doesn't matter what circumstances come into your life, doesn't matter the difficulty, you stay in the middle of it, sharing with people God wants to reconcile them back to himself. And here's the second thing. Your ministry has to be credentialed. Look in verse five, uh, uh, in verse six. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in a love that has no hypocrisy, in a word of truth, in the power of God, through the weapons of righteousness, both right hand and left hand. Now here's the second thing he said. 
the way you don't receive the grace of God in vain is number one, no matter how bad things get, you keep trucking. Number two, you make sure that your ministry is legitimized and credentialed and given authority, not by your mouth, but by God's power in you. Matter of fact, everything he mentions here basically is what you find in Galatians 5 in the, in the being filled with the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, if you're filled with the Spirit, you can't fulfill the lust of the flesh, which is his first word, impurity. And then the other things are basically what come out of being filled with the Spirit. I have a knowledge, I have patience, I have kindness. And I become then, now listen, I become then as I am credentialed and I walk through life and I've got these trials and I don't quit. And as the Holy Spirit fills me, now listen, and righteousness comes in my life. Now we talked about this, not goodness, but righteousness. Remember goodness, that's a good thing. But goodness is what a person without Christ can do. Righteousness is what only a believer can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as this righteousness credentials my life, then I become a weapon of righteousness into the world. I become God's messenger that impacts You say, well, have to be perfect? No. You don't have to be perfect, but there does have to be a distinction. When I get in high school and I was called to preach, I, was, I had two best friends in high school. And uh, when, I, when I told them I was called to preach, which was, I mean, I got to say it was hard because we... The three of us did some crazy things together, and we won't, we won't go there. But I remember uh, one of my buddies, they were, they were a little stunned when I said that I wasn't going to go to the University of Alabama, and I was going to go to a Baptist school in Mississippi, and I was going to be a preacher. <laughs> one guy looked at me, and he said, because I really didn't know what to say. He said, well, I don't guess. You've done things so badly that you can't do that. <laughs> I got to then begin running through everything we had done together, and I thought, okay, I am close, but apparently we're, we're okay here. <laughs> now, if you ask them, as we kind of did some together over the next four years, if you ask them, was Osborne perfect, they'd, they'd say, yeah, no. But if you ask them, if I was the same guy that they knew in high school, they'd have said, no. It's not perfection. But they need to see that you and I are distinct and different from who they are. Jesus really tells you how to do that. Let's suppose you're a Roman soldier and, and you're in this day. As a Roman soldier, you're occupying Israel. They have to do what you say, and there was a law on the books. But as a Roman soldier, if you got tired and you had some armor you were tired of carrying, you could find, and if you ran into a Jewish guy, you could grab him, pull him aside, hand him your armor, and say, let's go. And no matter what he was doing, he had to turn and walk with you for a mile. Now, the Jews hated the Romans, and the Romans hated the Jews. So this was great fun for a Roman soldier. He'd find a Jewish guy, make him the Jewish guy. Of course, 
Now, you've got to understand, it's not like our day. No cell phones. And they didn't mount the Roman soldier because those guys could bust you and nobody could do anything about it because they're the occupying army. So you take this armor, and if you're a Jewish guy, you're just walking along. You're not saying anything. You're seething. You're mad. You've got to walk basically two miles out of your way because you've got to walk here, drop the armor off, and head back. And if you're a Jewish guy, you are furious. You are seething. He knows that. He's enjoying this because he hates you. So he loves the fact that you're mad. You're not saying anything. You're seething. You're angry. And he loves the fact that when you drop the armor, you've got to walk two, another mile back. So you lose two miles, and he's loving it. So when he grabs this one Jew and he's just tacky and seething and he drops the armor and he walks off, he loves it. But if the next day he runs into another Jew and he says, hey, buddy, pick it up, let's go. And that Jew picks it up and begins to talk to him. Hey, did you see the Aggies yesterday? (laughs) Played well. Now, you're hoping that this is not a Tennessee Roman soldier, but... You're talking to him, sharing with him, asking him questions. Where are you from? What's going on? How's your life? Got a kid? Got a wife? What? Get to the mile, and the Roman soldier is a little sickened by all the questions, and he's tired of it, and he's not wondering what in the world's going on. And then you get to the mile, and he says, okay, you can stop, and you go, no. No, I, I want to walk another mile. Enjoy your company. I appreciate the fact that you serve an army that even though you occupy our country you protect us so I want to walk one more mile and just help you a little more now if you're that Roman soldier even if you don't say anything to this guy you get back to the barracks first thing you do is you go you're not going to believe what happened today yesterday I had some Jew normal reaction I had some Jew today that walked me he walked me not only to the mile he walked me one more mile and was actually nice to me And if there's more than one Christian in the area living out the ministry of reconciliation, some other soldier in that barracks is going to stand up and say, I had the same deal. And he's going to say, well, what's going on? Well, he told me it's because of Jesus. You mean the guy we killed? Yeah, well, he says he came out of the grave. Now, the soldier may look at him and go, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's crazy. But no matter what he says, no matter what happens, the talk in that barracks is there's a distinction among the Jews now. These guys treat them like dirt. These guys, what does he say in the passage? Have an unhypocritical love. They walk with them and love them and honor them. And I guarantee you, even if this Jew that's a Christian walks away, even not perfect in his life, but he has shown this soldier a distinction that credentials his ambassadorship from the Holy Father. We have to do that. And if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to control me in a way that my life credentials my ambassadorship then I've taken the grace of God in vain and then he finishes up I love this verse 8 through glory and dishonor through bad 
reputation and good reputation as deceivers but men of truth as unknown but fully known as dying but behold we live as being beaten but we are not killed as grieving but rejoicing as poor but making many rich as though we have nothing but in fact we have everything what does he say now listen we have a ministry that we're to live out not in vain until the day we face our destiny. We don't quit in the hard times. We are credentialed not by our mouth, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Third thing. We do not base our ministry on what people think about us. We base it on who we know we are in Jesus Christ. Because the world may buy into what you say about Jesus. But the other side is the world may look at you and say, I don't want your Jesus. I think you're brain dead. I, it's nice that you were nice to me and carried my stuff for another mile. But really, you're worshiping some guy that we killed. He's not out of the grave, and I think you're nuts. You may get that response, but it doesn't matter what they think of us. It's who we know we are, not who they think we are. And we're going to have both. I remember uh, when I was in seminary, I was working at this uh, refinery corporation, and we had different offices that I was cleaning, and, and we, uh, they were in different countries, so we had this lady that was from France, and she did all the French connection. That's a bad phrase, but nonetheless. <laughs> so I'm cleaning her office one day, and I always hated going into her office because she was like the ultimate chain smoker. So you need like a gas mask to go in there. And so I'm in there one day, and she strikes up this conversation with me. And she says, so you are at that uh, seminary school? Yes, ma'am. So I know now. It, there's no connection here. She says, so uh, what happens when you get out of that school? I said, well, I'll go to church and become a pastor. So you will be at a church? Yes. And then she said, well, that's admirable, which is code for I feel sorry for you. <laughs> and then she says, it's a wonderful thing. Now, this is her quote, okay? It's a wonderful thing that you would give your life to helping those mental cripples which is you <laughs> because you're so ignorant that you think that a Jewish peasant who had no army, wrote no books had no office and that his death and resurrection and ascension can actually make you okay with the career of the universe you are a mental cripple now you're going to you're going to get that and you're particularly going to get it in an arena such as Brian College Station that is governed in an academic setting. You take Texas A&M out of here, we have nothing in this community. We are governed by a setting, and Texas A&M is like everywhere else. The kids are solid, the kids are conservative, and we have a great community, but we have people that professor our children who do not believe what we believe and mock what we stand for. But that's okay. We're not going to quit. 
we're going to be convinced by the Holy Spirit. We're going to make sure that we do not base anything we do on what people think about us, but we're going to base it on what we know about ourselves. We're going to base it on who we know we are and whose we are. I love one of my favorite passages. The guy that wrote this book that we're reading goes to jail a lot. But the last time he's in jail in Rome, he writes a letter to the guy he mentored in the ministry. And it's interesting in the way he writes it, because in the very first chapter, he makes this statement to Timothy. He says, hey man, don't be ashamed of my jail. And then he says later in the book, come to me quickly. The guy he mentored and loved was embarrassed to think about going to see Paul because he's not in jail anymore for just preaching the gospel. Everybody thinks as a representative of Christianity that Christians are jerks and he doesn't want to go there. So Paul writes and says, man, don't, don't be ashamed of me because of what other people say about my imprisonment. It's easy to sometimes believe what people say about us. But I'm telling you, what we believe you hold and you commit until the day your ministry is over by your destiny being accomplished. I love this statement because this is where we live. I'm already spent. The time my departure has arrived. I fought the good fight. I've kept, I finished the race. I kept the faith. You know what those statements mean? He was tempted not to, but he did. It remains for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall deliver to me in that day. The righteous judge, and not just to me, but to every one of us who love his appearing. I don't care a lady thinks I'm a mental cripple in the middle of mental cripples. I'm going to the grave sure of who I am and whose I am. And that is why I stay in the pulpit regardless of what anybody out these walls says. Let's pray. Father, drive us to you, to the ministry you've called us to. Father, I just pray today, if there's anybody here that has never met Jesus Christ, let today be the day they do that. Father, for those of us in this room that have had the grace of God in vain, we've not executed the ministry you've left us. Let us correct that today. I ask you that in Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you have never met Jesus Christ, this is the day to find you. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart this morning. You come.